You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I just want to knock you. That's like freshman year in college for me right there, I'll tell you that. So, although there's some sadness, Kurt, oh. but uh, hey, good morning. You guys ready to end this thing? No? No, no? well, we're going to. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to stay if you really want. <laughs> I don't think it's as exciting if we all leave and you're the only one here. And so uh, I actually wanted to start this morning. Um, there was one more, there's uh, one video on our topic from last night with the prize. And so I thought I'd start with this clip that shows you the dream team and how, you know, we've been talking, we've been building this through this thing, and we got last night to this prize, and we saw how glorious it is to have this prize in knowing Jesus, and I thought it'd just be good to remind ourselves where we've come and what we're going towards of that we have this prize, and this is just a clip that shows their reaction um, and how it impacted them when they realized, wait, we have this prize that we've been all longing for, that the nation's been longing for. They've actually obtained it, and it really impacted all these players in a way they didn't expect. Campeón olímpico y medalla de oro, el equipo de los Estados Unidos de América. There was never really any doubt the Dream Team would win gold in 1992. But as they walked back onto the court to get their medals, the moment still overwhelmed them. We saw a lot of tears from players. It was a very proud moment for me because anytime you represent your country, you know, that's a prideful thing. Man, since Hills down my spine. It was a reward that I had never felt like that I would ever achieve to do it on that stage with those group of guys. It's a memory I'll never forget. Nothing in my life has ever felt like standing on that podium. I was getting goosebumps. Every single time I heard the national anthem after that had a different significance to me. I knew what it really meant. As a young kid growing up, I used to watch Olympics on TV with my father, and uh, all he talked about was the Star Spangled Banner and, and the gold medal. It made him feel proud to be American. Being up on that podium that night and receiving it, my father, he'd been pretty proud. All those emotions just overcame me. I got to be one of the guys one more time for my country. I said, man, I'll never forget this moment. You know, if this is the end, this is how I wanted to go out. This group may well be the greatest team ever assembled in the history of team sports. So it's so good. It's so good. We have this prize that we're after, and now we're talking about the greatest team ever assembled, period, the church. That's what we get to talk about. And so just remember that we have the prize. The prize that we're going after is one that all it takes is placing our faith in him, and we have it. But it will change 
how you live life once you have your, that, that prize. And that's what this morning is going to be, is how are we going to change as a result of being on this team and going after having this prize and then living with it. And so it, there's, there's things that just change how you behave. Um, I, I, I wanted to start with this story. Uh, when I was about, I think I, I, can't, I was probably 10 years, 10, 12, right in that range, I had gotten a chance to go water skiing for the first time, all right? And so um, who has ever water skied? You got water skiers? Okay. I had never gone before, so they're telling you all the complicated things you have to do. You're in the water. You've got, you got to keep your knees up, and then there's going to get this pool. You've got to have enough pressure so that it doesn't pull you over into your face, and you've got to you know, make sure that the skis are staying, staying straight, and you've got to lean back, but don't lean back too much because if you lean back too much, then it's just going to pull out. You're not going to get up out of the water. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So all these complicated formulas as you're floating in this water, and you've got these awkward skis. And, but yet I was bound and determined that I was going to get this thing, right? I was going to make this happen. And so I'm trying over and over again. Most of the times I'm flopping and getting pulled in and, and face planting into the water, and it's just going horribly. And I can barely even get up. And so finally I'm sitting there, and I'm able to kind of get a little up out of the water. I'm like, oh, I'm up out of the water. And I'm kind of in this awkward locked position where I'm not quite fully standing. I'm like still. And I look down, and I realize that the skis, instead of being like, like this, they were crossed. You know, like the, 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 the plow position when you're going downhill skiing, and you have your skis in a total plow. And my skis are in this plow, and they're kind of, they're kind of stuck behind me in the back spot. I'm like, like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm, I'm really working at trying to unlock these things. But I'm doing this like so I'm up on this half plow, water spraying everywhere, you know. And it just does not look pretty. But this is as far as I've ever gotten. I am getting out. And I'm coming around. And I've been, I almost did like a, a one whole rotation with this. And I, have, I had a bunch of my friends uh, who were all on this beach. And they're all on this beach. And I look over. And they are just, I mean, they are rolling over laughing. Some of them are just laying on the ground. And they're just looking. And I'm just like, this, this isn't that funny. I mean, it's like, yeah, my skis are locked. And I'm like, why are they so so like so losing it and uh, there's something that's not giving and then i look down and i realize the other problem is that my shorts are around my ankle <laughs> and so i was <laughs> at that point instantaneously i had zero interest in being up and so i just like <laughs> but now i'm like Oh my gosh, I just went like a homeless rotation around the lake in a total spray in the buff, you know? <laughs> this is, this is so crazy. And so it's like one of those moments and you're like, I'm 10, 11, like it was, it just, just destroys you. Like the fear of embarrassment. You ever have that? You're already worried that you're going to do something embarrassing. All it takes is doing something like that. You're like, I am, oh my gosh, what if? It was like the worst thing I could picture that I could have had as the what if. And so you have all those different fears that can, that can creep in, that can hold you back from doing something, whether it's because you had one bad experience that gave that fear birth or just the idea that somebody else did it. Like how many people on the beach were like, I'm never doing that. No way. You know, and it was a birth of their fear going on. That was him, not me. I have, you know, I have, you don't have those different fears that just make no sense. Like as a, as a kid, I wouldn't want to sleep with my hand over the bed, as the bed, because why? Monsters would come out and get you, you know? And so it was always like this. And then I remember uh, we, my brothers had to move into my room and we had to, we had to get a bunk bed. And so I took the top bunk, right? Because I was like, <laughs> that's way up high. And the monsters, I don't, now I can do this. But then a whole new fear came. I had this fear that I couldn't sleep with my knees up. Like, uh, like I'm, not that I ever really did this, but I was like, if I, you sit there and you have your knees up on top of this bed, I just pictured it as like, wait, with my knees up underneath these blankets, way up high on top of this, this kind of looks like a mountain. 
And like some lion might be just strolling down the street and think this is a mountain and then climb up over and look and go, oh, there's a food and then eat my face. You know, so it's <laughs> again, it doesn't make any sense, but it does. When you're little, it makes perfect sense that, of course, a lion would go on top of a mountain. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't, my mom would every once in a while tell me to go down to 7 Eleven and be like, here you go, you gotta go buy some milk. And I would be so afraid, uh, like just walking home at night because of the dark. I then got my room moved down in the basement. And so then it was every night, every night, I was the only one in the basement. I'd stand on the top of the stairs, I'd look down the stairs, and I'd be thinking, all right, there's a sump pump, here's where the washer and dryer are, these are the darkest corners, that's probably where all the demons are hanging out. All right, let's go. And I would run, and I would just strategically figure out even how I would run through my basement and jump, and get into my room, get under the bed, make sh- get under the covers, make sure my knees weren't up, my hand was out, and go to sleep before the demons realized I was there. Yeah. And so it's like all these crazy, these crazy fears that you can get. And actually, one of the things I have on a retreat is a fear. As a fear is that last that last session here, the Sunday morning session, after you guys have had two nights of crazy sleep, that's, that you guys are going to fall asleep, right? And so the people who probably need to sleep are probably not here. But those of you who are here, you want to be here, right? And so you ever hear of the slug bug challenge? You know what a slug bug challenge is? Where the where slug bugs? All right, the, the old guys. What is what's a slug bug? The Volcan Beagle, all right? They used to be all over the place. When you'd see them when you're driving around, you used to be able to go slug somebody in the shoulder and go slug bug green, slug bug blue, whatever it was, okay? So here's, this is my, this is my sleep show. If you see somebody falling asleep, nodding off, they came here because they wanted to hear from, the God, from God this morning, but then they might be falling asleep. So if you see them falling asleep, you just slug them, all right? Just like the slug bug. If you see somebody sitting next to somebody who hasn't slugged them yet, you slug them so that they slug the person sleeping, all right? And so, and I will call you out. I will call you out. We'll go, oh, there's somebody you can slug right there, slug bug, and you can slug them. So I want to I hear some, some hits in the, during this. That, that's, that's much better. All right, 1992 Dream Team. We get to wrap this up. All right, been, hopefully you've been enjoying just hearing about this team and going through and using this team as a, as a picture for us as, a, as the church and what we can be doing. You know, this team that they assembled, you see, it was the best. Even it is, it's true. A lot of times they just still, to this day, when they talk about some of the best teams that ever were put together, it was these guys. Eleven of these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Like everyone who was in the NBA at the time ends up in the Hall of Fame. Like that's just ridiculous. And they came and they were playing for such a, such a big moment and they were the best. And they were going after this and then they just, they just outperformed. It was the best performance the U.S. The US team has, has given. You know, even, even since. You know, we still get to send our best, but this is the one that they just come, keep coming back to. And today we're going to be thinking about, all right, we have this prize and we have this prize that we've, we're, we're, we're striving for and that we've won. But, like, what is it about this team? This team that is assembled is the best. Like, what if, what if you found a way to discover your best? Your best, the best that you had. What if you were determined that no matter the cost, no matter what take, you're going to get up. You are going to give your best. You were that determined that your best is what was, God was going to get. And so that's what we're, we're really going to look at today is, you know, sports, they have a lot of things. You, one of the, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and you have talent. But one of the things that a lot of the best teams, this team, a lot of great teams you look at, they have is this passion, right? They have a passion. There's, a, there's an intangible energy, a determination. And so we're looking this morning at the passion of the dream team of the church. And so we are in Philippians 4. And it starts right here. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. 
Oh, again, you get back and you just, even just looking at the terms in there, you're reminded on how much joy and love Paul has about being a part of this team. How he just thinks the world of this team. He says, I love you. I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're, I, I'm so proud. I've, this is part of my prize. You are my beloved. Here's this, this leader who'd come and he'd help start this church. He's writing back to them. And what's his exhortation that he's telling them and he's giving them? He says, stand firm. Stand firm. All of you together as a church. All of us. We need to stand firm together. It's not just one. He's writing to the, to the collective, the plural. Stand firm. Come together. Why, is it, why can it be good? You know, that's why I shared those fears. Because we're all going to bring even individual fears into the mix. And when we talk about giving our best, some of us are just afraid of giving our best or what it's gonna, that will look like. And he says, look, I want you to be firm. You don't want, fear isn't gonna, doesn't have a place. You can come together and overcome those fears. Real. But one of the things I realized, and maybe you can see, you, you'd see some of this similar too, that so many of our fears, if not most of our fears, have a root in the fact that we would end up being alone. They have a root in the fact we're going to end up being alone. I'm afraid of embarrassment. Well, it's not, I don't care. I mean, if everyone thought it was fine, I'd be water skiing the buff. That sounds like it could be cool. You know, <laughs> like refreshing, that's refreshing. But it's not, it's not refreshing, you know, when you think of the fact that it's embarrassing and other people are like, there's that, the naked water skier guy. He's a loony. You know, it's like, oh, okay, then, then why? Well, then people are going to think otherwise of me, and I'm not going to have a good relationship, right? I'm going to be alone. And so a lot of the times when our, our darkest fears are alone, I've got to go run down this basement stairs and, challenge, and face the challenges of what creepy things might be there alone. If I put somebody with me, I, that fear just completely goes away. It's gone. I'm never afraid of the dark. I can walk to 7-Eleven with my friend, but by myself, I'm freaked out. And in those places when we're alone, that's when fear comes. And this is where Paul's saying, look, you, collectively, in, in Pittsburgh, we call that yins. That's part of Pittsburgh speech. It's like our y'all, you know, but in there, they have this weird dialect. If you come to Pittsburgh, it's weird. It's like, it's yins are speaking. They call yins. It means you as a collective. It's a plural. But that's one of our, our weaknesses. We, get, we read things, and it says you, like, we think me. We don't think us. And says, you as a church, stand firm. And so that's what we are, we are supposed to be able to do. And we are supposed to be able to stand firm. And what's he saying? He's like, you're my, my, my joy, my crown. You are to be able to come together and have that passion. What for, for what? Well, great teams, they play with that passion. They play for glory. And we, on God's team, we are going to be one of those that we need to overcome our personal challenges that we talk about on God's team. We're to learn to be humble and united as part of God's team. We're going to go for the prize of knowing Jesus as God's team. Today we're going to talk about we need to have this passion for God's team. And it's all His team. And you're going to see that the passion that we really display is this. We display God's greatness. That's the passion of the church. We have to have this passion for God's glory that we display God's greatness. He's the common theme through this all that we've been talking about. It's all for the glory of God that we're, we're on this team, that we're even on this team, that we have humility, that we're going to be unified, that we're going to be able to give our best and talk about what we give. It's because of Him. And we do it for His glory to display His greatness. And that's exactly, exactly where Paul goes. Look at this in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. That's passion for God, for God and His glory. It's to be displayed. It's like, He's like, 
you have anything with, with God and He's given, rejoice. Go get that church face paint. All right? Go, I, just go, that's passion. Think about the fans of any sports that you go and you're just excited about it. It's passion. And, and that's what you, you do. You want to see others. You display it. You want others to see it. You think of your favorite fan moments, like when you're a fan. Like some of you, you're getting, I really like this for a sport. All right? Maybe it's not sports for you. Maybe it's a band. You see how excited I got just because they play Nirvana when I walk up? Maybe there's like, oh, when I hear that music, that band, that artist, I get excited. All right? Or, or maybe for some of you, it's, it's a, some other club or some other thing. Comic-Con. You know, who's a big fan of comics and you go to Comic-Con and you see these people, what do they do? They display it. They dress up in costumes and just, you, you, you can't see. Sometimes it's for, for good coffee, for any good product, or you find a great location and you're just, what do you start doing? You display it. You're like, oh, I found this great place that we can hang out on campus. I got to show you. And so anything that you become a true fan of, you display and you want others involved. You start pulling them in because you've seen something that's good and it's so good and you want to introduce them to it. Like, who here is a fan of roller coasters? Any roller coaster fans here? I love roller coasters. Who's gone to Cedar Point? Oh, Cedar Point is like the mecca, right, of roller coasters. It is the place. You can just go there and you're like, I could die. Heaven might be an all eternity past to Cedar Point for some of us. You're just like, this is awesome. And they're so incredible. And, like, and you, you want to you have people who've never seen it. Like, oh, you've never seen this ride. We're going to ride this. And you just go and you have that enthusiasm. And you try to bring it in. That is what it means to have true passion for something where you can display the glory of something. You also, you love it and you so love it that it's just natural out that others need to see it. And so here's a question for us is who can you encourage spiritually by a genuine display of your passion for God? Slug bug right there. All right. And so uh, <laughs> told you, I'm going to call you out. <laughs> this, this is not a safe place. All right. But who can you encourage spiritually for your passion for God? You have this passion for Him. And so we want to have it not only be for just us, but we all have people in our lives that we are uniquely positioned to influence. There's somebody in your life that you are the most uniquely positioned to influence that they can see God's greatness. You are going to go back and they're going to see you. Some of them, I even ask you, hey, how was your weekend? And you can say, I was really refreshing. I really had a good weekend. Or you can try to figure out how can I show them a little bit about God's glory. Oh, my church had this great retreat. I learned a whole bunch of, like, it was really impressed. It was helpful. Or something that, that was, my church was doing this. This is how God was involved in my weekend. Be thinking of those people, even like this morning. Because sometimes we come and we see a talk and it's for us individually. We already talked about, hey, maybe there's a part of the talk that was for us even collectively as, as a church or as our home fellowship. This morning, what's odd, I think most of what God wants people to learn from this talk this morning are from people who aren't even here. He has lessons for people who aren't even here, but he needs you to bring them because you're uniquely positioned. They didn't sign up to go to the retreat. Maybe there was somebody in church who just didn't. And they're like, oh, man, they would have really benefited from this. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. What if the lesson that he has for this morning really has very little to do with you? You've got your prize. But he wants that prize to be shared with somebody else. I think of my friend who was a pastor, and he was, he was reaching out to his neighbor, and his neighbor was, uh, was trying to disciple his neighbors. They, the neighbor was a believer, working with this guy, and the guy was, just had this passion for reaching out at work. 
He's like, yeah, my work environment, I just don't really know how I really can influence people at my work. I try to just work hard. I would try to be a great display of, of being a Christian. He had, in particular, this one co-worker that he just really thought God put in his heart. And he was praying for this guy. He was trying to influence him. He would get into conversations, just really befriend him. But he was just frustrated because he just didn't really know how he could influence this guy. And like, anytime there would be chances that he could uh, avoid some of like the bad ethic, pra- ethic practices that would happen at work, he would just always take God's moral road. Um, he was just trying to just display good, good Christian ethics and what it means to be a Christian and be praying for this guy. And this has gone on for years. And he would just they would talk in the yard. And he would you know it, it, he'd say how I'm just praying for him, but he hasn't see, he hasn't seen any interest from him in, in God. And then so one day uh, he had gone to work and. In his cubicle, he decided he was going to put up some of these verses that were really encouraging him that God would be at work in this guy's life. And so he hangs up these verses in his cubicle, and they're up there. And sure enough, like days later, this co-worker that he's been praying for and wanting to lead to the Lord somehow walks by and sees these verses in his cubicle and has this conversation and comes up to him and is like, wait, I saw that you have, you have verses. Are you, are you curious about, uh, about God and, and where, what he's working in his life? And he's like, well, yeah, well... No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. He's like, whoa, you're a Christian? I just became a Christian too. You know? He's like, well, how long? When did you become a Christian? Did you just become a Christian? He's like, well, no, I've been a Christian for years, ever since I even came here. He's like, oh. He's like, man, we should share, share stories. He's like, sure. So then the guy went out for lunch that day. They went out for lunch that day, and they're sharing stories. And this guy they've been praying for is like, yeah, man, I just come, and my life was in shambles. On the inside, everything's falling apart. Uh, my marriage is a mess. I couldn't figure out how I'm parenting. Work, there's all this pressure. But then I would come to work, and I would see you. And it seemed like you had it all together. You seemed to always have peace, and you could always take the moral high road, and things could, could come together, and you would talk about your wife, and you would talk about your family. And I just thought... If he can do it, I could do it. And so I would buckle down. And I keep trying harder and harder. But I could never get what you had. I could never have that. And so eventually, I just said, that's it. I can't do this. I need some other help. And so I walked into a church, and I heard this gospel. And it's amazing. We don't have to just do this. And the guy really struggled to be happy. Why? Because all this time, he was actually a distraction. (laughs) Because what he realized at that moment, that though he was trying to display some of the the benefits of following after Jesus, he never mentioned Jesus. He never pointed to where it all points to. He forgot to say that this goodness, this greatness that's coming on my life is from God. And pointed it all back to God. And that's so important that we need to display the goodness of God. It's got to be on display. Look at where he goes, where Paul says next in 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonable, known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Lord. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, with which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You look at these and you see that the reasonableness, the way that you live, can be on display to all. But the Lord that is at hand, we've got to realize that it's not, we're just going to leave these very complete, peaceful lives that are reasonable. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is the one you have to come to in prayer. The Lord is the one that you bring your requests to. You've got to be working with God in that. You've got to be able to bring God into the picture. And then he says, then a peace of mind, a peace in your heart will come in. All right? 
But notice, so even if you look at that, you note the scale in here. Who is he saying you're putting it on display to? To everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to all. And so our point will change here a little. Not only display God's greatness, we need to display God's greatness to the world. To the world. As part of the church, that is what, who we're to be putting on display. We are on a world stage. We're like, that's why this dream team is great. Think about, there's these 12 guys playing a little game with a basketball. <laughs> with a ball, and they run around, and they're throwing it through this little hoop. I mean, it seems trivial. But they were on the world stage. And everyone knows them. They're making documentaries. You are on God's team. The church that has been on the world stage for thousands of years. He wants us to be in this game. I mean, if you think about it in the game, that's what he's saying. Get on the stage. Be known for all. And you're like, whoa, that's going to be freak me out. Yes, you're going to. That's why he goes, pray, pray, be Thanksgiving, you know, with prayer. Bring your prayers. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't have that anxiety. It's going to be okay because I am on this. I'm on this. I, I have this. I'm coaching this team, I know. Think about it in the game. He says the peace of God will come in. Like I think about it in the concept, of it's that cool, right? It's like when you step on the court, it's like when you're that player that has that, they have that cool. You just know it's game time, yeah, give me the ball. Done. Oh, yep. You know, but while it's still in the air, you have that cool. You know, it doesn't matter how many people, how many eyes, how many TV networks are covering what you're doing. You have that cool. You're calm. You're collective. Even though you're playing for somebody's eternity. Eternity is in the balance. Not just a metal that's going to burn up, but eternity is in the balance. And so we got to think sometimes through that idea of peace and that cool. Like, who do you think you could influence by a peaceful interaction with God? Just a peaceful interaction. So many times we think that we have to step out and it's like we have to introduce some of ourselves to somebody and be like, hey, do you know that you're without Jesus, you're damned? <laughs> Oh, and that's what we think. Oh, I would never say that. That's what I, but that's what it feels like in our heads that we have to go to. And they're going to go, what? You know, and it's going to be confrontational. As soon as we say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, that there's going to be this confrontation, you know. But you don't. Sometimes it's just peaceful. Just a peaceful, easy interaction. But those are the ones that make inways because you have those unique positions. When we came to Pitt and we were trying to get approved for our student org, some of these other Christian groups were like, oh, man. You're going to have a really hard time. It took us over a year, and we're part of this, you know, huge network that everyone really knew. And no one's ever, you know, who are you? They're not going to really know who you are. This is going to take you a long time to even be a, have a student org. And we're like, wait, this is, we shouldn't have to wait. But that, that's really discouraging to us. We want to have a student org so we can have a church on campus and, and do this. And so we put our application in. First month we're there, we had some of our students who made this org. And sure enough, it's just it was gone, a couple months had gone by. And no matter how many times our, our president would email, like we couldn't get any response. And so finally, just this was one morning, I was like, well, I'm just going to figure out who it is that really the person that makes this decision. So I found out who that was. And Friday morning, I got up. I did the whole prayer thing. I just walked around campus a number of times and praying for this interaction and show up in his office at 8 a.m. Like, I'm going to be the first person in this guy's office. And so I, sure enough, I go up there, and he's sitting there in his office, and he's already working on his computer, and I, his door is open, so I just come on in, and I ask him, is this, you know, is this who you are? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, what are you working on? He's like, oh, i got to work on some crazy stuff. My 
secretary. She's on vacation. And finally got all this paperwork. I hate paperwork. I'm like, you're telling me, man. I hate paperwork. Shoot me in the head. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, what's the worst one for you? He's like, oh my gosh, there's this time card I got to do. And he starts going off about some time card that he's got to fill out. And I just sit down and have a seat in his office. And he starts talking about admin and he's going about how crazy this is. And he's showing me all the piles of papers all over his desk. And he's like, oh man, my secretary is amazing. And I'm like, oh, what's she like? And then he starts talking about his secretary. And I'm like, oh, I noticed you have some baseball stuff on the wall. He had all these baseball trophies. I think baseball is so snooze, you know, but I'm like, oh, baseball, that seems so interesting. You know, I was like, what's this? And I find out that he had played for Pitt when he was back in the day. I'm like, oh yeah, I have some back in the day. So what did you play? I was a pitcher. I was like, oh, you know, what were your best stats? And he starts throwing off these stats and some of them, I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Oh, really? You know, and I'm just going in there and I kid you not, at some point we're in here and it has been an hour and 40 minutes into the conversation with him. He stops all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, he's like, who are you and why are you here? Because I hadn't even told him anything about me. I talked to him for an hour and 40 minutes just about all this stuff. I was like, well, it's funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just a pastor here. I'm working with this, these, these students. They're trying to get a student org through, and they've just been sending these emails, and it's been really frustrating. He's like, Oh, he's like, it's probably somewhere in here. He's like, you've seen all the mess. I'm like, yeah, you know me. Where's, you know, where's Betsy when you need her? <laughs> you know, we were just laughing, you know. <laughs> and he's like looking through and he's like, flip, flip, flip. And he goes, oh, is this it? This is the H2O? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay. He's like, oh, yeah. Actually, he's actually just waiting on my signature. And he signs this thing. And he's like, all right, but now there's going to be these three other steps you got. Take this down here and down this hall. It's going to sit to her. She's going to send it over to this office and they're going to mail it across uh, to the next building here. Come on, let's go. And he just picks me up and he's like, let's go. And so we walk on down. He goes to the desk. He has a person sign it. We go down to the elevator, go get somebody else to sign it. Then we walk outside the building to the next building, takes it over to the office, says, here's you need to go. Get Great. Takes it, gives me the copy, says, you're approved, you're through. Hey, it's nice meeting you. And I was like, that is awesome. So what? They, everyone else is thinking, wait, how is that going to take you a year? But it wasn't because I came in and being like, we're a church, and Jesus needs to share the gospel with everybody. You need to approve our organization now. You know? Then they're like, <laughs> no. Sometimes you got to have that woo, you know? you got to have that smooth. And you guys all can do that. But be able to the, make sure you're doing it. You're saying, who do I need to display God's greatness? And this guy became an advocate for us, not a believer. Not a believer at all. Actually, he was kind of a leery of the fact that we're, we're this church that has even a presence on campus. But was able to have that peace, that cool, and put on display God's greatness and became an advocate for us in those first couple of years. And anytime we'd have problems, I would just drop his name. Oh, well, you know this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, yeah, we had to call him. He knows us. And he'd call, hey, I got free here. He's like, oh, free. Hey, how's it going? And, and he would just, I'm like, this is great. This is great because you found that. And that's where you all can have that. We all can have those peaceful conversations. You know, the 1992 uh, Dream Team, these guys were the, were the greatest. But one of the questions they asked, were they, you know, being the greatest, were they too good? Um, but even they, when they got on and they started playing this little game of basketball, they didn't think it was going to be as big a deal. And then they started to realize that they too were surprised by the effect that they had on the world. Here's a video from them. Is almost too good. Some think that we should go back to the collegians. It's been too easy. I think then we ought to ban the uh, African runners from the 10,000 meters because they make it look so easy as well. <laughs> this is about our best, and this is wonderful for the sport of basketball. Irvin, uh, there's been some comments that the Dream Team is getting all the attention, and there seems to be some resentment about it. Have you heard about it, and do you have any feelings about it? Uh, 
Basically, you know, we haven't heard about it. We're just here to do our job. The media may have been looking for signs of a backlash, but in Barcelona and in the world beyond, the embrace of the Dream Team was universal. You know, Rudy gonna stand out and root against Picasso? I mean, I mean, seriously. They rooted for genius at work. I kept thinking that the attention would dissipate. They're gonna play the first game. They're gonna win by 60. People are gonna go back and watch Trek. Jordan in transition with a slam to give Team USA a 60-point lead. It didn't. It kept building and building and building. The U.S. with another trouncing, 127-83, 127. Workers were trying to get autographs. The security people were trying to get autographs. All the athletes were standing on side like a parade. People perceived us as being superheroes. This was a blowout on the U.S. Pats Olympic team. The guy on the bench is taking pictures, and I said, wow, we are having an effect over here. Wrap around past the vessel. Easy victory, and that's their fifth game of the Olympics. It was as if uh, the president of the United States was uh, in the midst of a, a caravan that was going through the streets. It was like the Beatles, where there's thousands and thousands of people waiting all the time. That's the most exhilarating 15 seconds of my life. We're like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I love that. The, the guy on the opposing bench is getting on his camera. He's like, I don't care. He looked down and be like, this is amazing. I got the best seat in the house. <laughs> Why? Did you love it? You know, they were, would you root against Picasso? They were genius at work. You know, you wouldn't go against that. What about Jesus at work? What about Jesus? When you see Jesus at work, who's going to root against that? You guys realize there's people... Um, that we see on the bench, that if they really, they, they knew what the, what the secret, what's going on, what your prize is, what makes you tick, what gives you joy, what gets you through those challenges, they're going to say, wow, they're going to have an effect. You're going to have a greater effect. We need to change the way that we think about our ability to impact others. It doesn't, it's not an action. It can flow out of the fact that we're humble, that we're on this team, and then we go after knowing Jesus. That is our goal. And then when we do that, and, and doing that and giving our best and letting his genius, his Jesus, be at work in us, people will see it. But we have to put it on display. Look, where, look how Paul, another way that Paul says this. You're, you're, you'll like this one. Um, Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What are we supposed to put out? Our best. We think about those things. We practice those things. We do those things. As we put out our breasts, we're going to have that cool. What is another part of the greatness of God? I'm telling you, that question from last night. It's you. It's you. 
You're his gold. You're his greatness. You've got his beauty, his lovely, what's commendable, what's excellent, what's worthy of praise is you. What if you actually believed what God thought of you? You would put it on display. You'd step out on the court and you would just go, wow. Because not only to display God's greatness to the world, you display your passion. It's your passion for God's greatness to the world. Will you display what you get excited? What have you learned? What have you received? What have you heard? What have you seen? Tell those stories. Show those stories. What are you uniquely excited about? Do you guys realize that this team uniquely needs you? What you display. What are some of those things that people just commend you for? Like one of the things that I was shocked by, like, but not really, but I just never really thought about it, is people are like, man, Free, I love how you love your kids. I think, well, of course I love them. I'm, a, I'm their dad. But then they're like, no, I mean, it's like you walk in the room, if you see them, it's like, oh, and you'll run up and you'll embrace them and you'll play with them and you get down on their level and you just have this excitement that you're just genuinely interested to be there. I'm like, that's true. I love my kids. And I love my wife. I do. I just, I do a scandal room. I look for, I want to know where she's at. My kids know this. They're like, stop kissing mom in every room in the house all the time. I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> this is my house. You want to stay this? I go to get a different house. You know? <laughs> this is my house. This is my wife. You can go to a different room. We're in this room. You know? <laughs> you know? I love the Bible. I love it. I love just seeing these words and that they're, they are alive. They're like, wow, you make them come alive. No, I don't make them come alive. They are alive. They're living and active. This is an amazing love letter. This is it. I love team. People are like, oh, how are you having a great time? Yes, because I love coming to this. Like, I love this church. I'm like, I would join this church. I would want to be. I want to come to this church. Can we move? No, if I ever find myself here, I'm coming to this church. I love church. I love team. I love hearing people's stories. I like when people come and they go, oh, I really got, what, why? What, what impacted? I, I want to know your story, right? What are those things that you are uniquely passionate about? What makes you tick? None of those things are rocket science. People, kids, my wife, stories, the Bible, they're not intimidating. You're like, hey, can I tell you the story? No, I'm so offended. Don't tell me a story about a retreat. That's not going to happen, okay? (laughs) But we think it will, all right? We're so afraid. How do you need to get in the game and give your passion to this team? What talent do you have that need that this team needs that you need to display? Oh, it's great. Look at this in, in ten, and he goes. He says, "I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in every." In, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Oh, Paul's like, I'm so glad you're bringing this concern up. It's coming back, that your, your passion is coming. Hopefully God is stirring up some passion even this morning in some of you. And God is saying, and what Paul is, is doing here, he's saying, look, you, you see this and don't worry about me. I know I'm in prison, and, but I've learned the secret of, need, of facing need. And you're like, whoa. He has a secret. You ever have that when someone goes, oh, I know the secret. Like, you can't. That's unfair. You can't tell me you have a secret and then not tell me the secret. Right? Just If you have the secret, keep it as a secret. Don't tell me you have a secret. Paul will. But I wanna, what I want to do first is I have an exercise for you. Because I want us to think about the impact that we can have on the needs of others. 
He's saying that I'm glad that this passion you have for Christ has revived just your, your concern for me and that it's natural for us to think of the needs of others. And that's a lot about this morning. You're uniquely positioned to be able to impact the needs of others. But I have this activity for us. So it's going to make us, again, it's going for our last session for a retreat because it makes you move around a little. So everyone's got to stand up. Everyone's going to stand up. And this is how this is going to work. Um, Val is going to come up and she's going to help me here during this one. And so um, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to, I got a Bible for you. You can use this one. Um, we do need another mic on. Oh, you got a mic. Great. All right. And so how is, you got to spread around the room. All right. You got to get out of your aisles. Everyone's got to get into some open space. All right. Um, I mean, you can be fairly close. So most of us are going to be able to come all the way to the front. You're going to be most, a lot of us in the back into the aisles. Don't go against the wall by the windows. It's going to be really too hard. So I just pack into the, all these corners. A lot of us, most of you probably, there's a lot of space back there. Okay. And so, um, you, wherever, just wherever you want. Yeah. You can sit and be comfortable. Okay. All right. All right, and so, so make sure that you're, make sure you just give a little space. I mean, someone should be kind of near you, you know, but like not too close to you. I don't want you to, because I'm going to be walking around um, up between you guys. So don't worry that I'll be brushing this. So give me, give some space. So come on, all the way up to the front here. All right, here you go. All right, and so here's how it's going to do. Um, we're just going to take a few minutes. Val's going to be reading. She's going to read some from Philippians, and you get a chance to think through. And there's going to be a lot of the lessons um, that we've been, we've been talking about as a, as a dream team. Here, but as we're going, as we're doing this, when we're ready to start, the instructions are fairly simple. All right, when I, when I say it's time to start, everyone is going to crouch down. All right, onto just in your just grab your knees, and you're going to close your eyes. All right, so you're going to crouch down, so you're just on your feet, you're holding your knees, and you're going to close your eyes. All right, and she's going to be reading from uh, from the scripture, and and then like I said, I need some room. I'm going to walk around. All right, the first time you, see, you feel a tap on your head, okay. I tend to double tap when I do it. You know, it's like the first time you feel a tap on your head, you can stand up, but keep your eyes closed. The second time you feel a tap on your head, you can open your eyes. All right? Very simple. What do you do the first time you hear feel a tap? What do you do the second time? All right, crouch down and close your eyes. <laughs> Perfect after this 5K, right? All right. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
now and look around. And everyone can go back to their seats. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> All right, so impressions. What did you think? What did you think so? Huh? You're really sore. That's what you thought, huh? Impressions. What did you guys think about that exercise? How was it? What was your experience? Slightly confusing. Okay. The instructions were very clear. You don't know what the point was. Okay. What else? What else do you think? Yeah. You were really hoping you got tapped. Yeah. Did you ever get tapped? Twice. You got, t- you got tapped twice. Did you ever get tapped? No. Or how did it feel when you get tapped? Well, awesome. How did it feel to the fact that no one ever tapped you? Terrible. Why did it feel terrible? <laughs> yeah. That's an actual real part of it. Yeah. The knees are hurting. What else? Let's see. Who else felt that? Who else felt like it was terrible to never get tapped? All right. Yeah. All right, those of you with your hands up, keep them, keep them up. You know, how much did you get out of that scripture reading? Not very much, really? Why is that? What were you thinking about? Daydreaming? About what? About getting tapped, right? Hey, <laughs> yeah. All right. How about those of you who got to stand up but then never got to open your eyes? How many of those? You just got to stand up. All right. How was that like for you guys, where you got to stand up but you never got to open your eyes? Huh? You were glad? You were at least glad you got to stand up, right? Okay, what else? I was glad. You were glad you didn't get to open your eyes. Why is that? Oh, okay, so you didn't want to see the others pain, right? So, like, that's good, that's good, that's really good. Anybody else? What was it like just sitting there without having really an idea of what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Does he not see me? Does he not see me here? I'm the only one. Everyone has secretly left. And Amy's just standing there. It's just Amy and Val in the room. That would be great. <laughs> it's just a recording of Val's voice, even better. Yeah. <laughs> All right, how about those of you who got to do both? You had to stand up and your eyes open. How was that experience for you? What were, your, what were some of your thoughts during this whole experiment? Yeah. That was so random, right? I'm just walking all around, right? What else? What else do you think? Why? Okay, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah? That's good. What else? Yeah. Okay, why is that? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. You're the elect. <laughs> right? Who, who else felt feelings for other people around them? When you get, once you could see the suffering, what did you feel?
Hmm. So you wanted to help save people, but how many people did you tap? None. Did anybody else other than me tap anybody? No, what were, the, what, what were these very simple instructions that I gave? The first time, first time you're tapped, stand up. Okay, yeah. Who's supposed to be tapping? Anybody. You get the point now? You get it? Is this sneaking in? You guys, there were people, some of you were in need, and the what you needed was right there. Somebody else had it right there. And some, there's, there are people that are right there that just have physical needs, emotional needs. They just need a friend that's right there. They just need us to be able to stand up, you know, and get out of the, their challenge and their, their, their discomfort, all the brokenness of the world. And you're right there. And yet we think somebody else is going to do it. We th- and then there are people that are just walking. Yeah, life is okay, right? It's like you're saying, oh, if it was good for a while, I think this is really good. I've kind of established my life. But they're still blind. And after a while, you realize, wait, what's going on? They don't really understand. They don't see the spiritual reality. And they need someone to, to show them the truth of the gospel. And yet you're right there. Every person who had their eyes open, who has this prize, who knows the goodness of the Lord, was within arm's reach. If one of, if one of you figured that out, and started tapping, how long would this exercise have taken? 20 seconds. Rather than wait for one guy to wander me under haphazardly, random throughout it, and it's all depending on me, any one of us can do this. You guys, the passion that we have for God's glory, we are to actively display to the world. And they need it. They need it. Don't wait for anyone else. You guys have been enjoying drinks. You guys do drinks, right? It's been good you have that effect. I love the story of drinks. That You say, oh, yeah, we came, we saw drinks. That was great having you guys come. You saw how we've been doing it. You know where our idea of drinks came from? It wasn't at Pitt. It was when I was at MSU. Two, two sophomores had gone on a trip to Chicago, and they saw the homeless that were in Chicago. They came back, and they were just struck by the needs of the world. That there are people who are just in need. There's physical need that is, forget about talking about their spiritual need. How do we address these physical needs? And they were, just, they were just burdened by this need. And they said, what are we going to do to make a difference? And so they came back to their campus and they realized, wait, there are people in my classes, in my dorms here. There's other needs. But there's other needs than just food or home. There's for friendship, for, for just companionship, for a smiling face. Uh, all right, what can we do just to show the goodness of God? And so they went, and they on their own bought a, lo- a couple loaves of bread and peanut butter and jelly. And made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and made them and took them out on campus, put up a little table, and gave them away to people on their campus. And students loved it. They loved it. We were just giving away this free peanut butter and jelly. And then they came to us and they're like, this is an incredible. This is awesome. Could we, does the church have any money that we can just buy a whole bunch of peanut butter and jelly? And we we're like, well, maybe. And they're like, yes, this is messy. It takes a long time. But we happen to look around and we're like, what do we have? And the church that we were partnering with had a row of industrial-sized coffee makers and bins and bins of coffee that they said we could just have for free. So I said, what if we just gave away coffee instead on some morning? They're like, that would be awesome. So we started to give away coffee and the students loved it. And so we had this free drinks ministry, and then it spread to other campuses and other campuses. And what's amazing about that is you know where that idea came from? Two sophomores who saw a need and decided to do something about it rather than waiting for the slowness of a church to organize an entire ministry. All right? So when you go back, 
Where are you uniquely positioned? What are your unique passions? What are you going to do? Don't wait for the perfect ministry. People come up to me all the time. Why doesn't H2O have this ministry? And they explain it and the need and the passion they see and how great it would be. And I tell them, you know why we don't have that? I'm like, why? He's like, we haven't had you yet. We're waiting for you. Go start it. What would you need to start that? How could we help you to start that? I had a student come and saying, man, I have all these friends that were just interested and we don't have anything for apologetics. We had Ravi Zacharias come and all my friends came and that was a one-time thing. Why don't we have anything for that? I was like, what are you thinking? Like, it'd be great if we had like a club and we could invite people and we just read through like maybe one of Ravi's books. I was like, could you start that? I'm like, no, you can. I actually have 40 of Ravi Zacharias' books that I will give to you. And then you can go out and invite 39 other people to this. And she did. And it wasn't us that started it. She started it. And so what we have tonight is for us to go and say, to go back to that secret. What is that secret that Paul referenced? He said this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can do all things through him who strengthens me. You have him as the prize. He's the one. He's given you passion. He's given you talent. He's given you even a vision. He's putting you in a different place. What are you going to do? He says you can do all things. If you can do all things, then this is, what is something that you would tackle in your life through God's strength? What is, what is something you would tackle through his strength? If you could do something for God and know that you would never fail, what would you do? Go do it. Because you can do all things through him who strengthens you. And your position, and you can reach out and the need is all around you. That's not the problem. The problem is that we just need to do it. Strengthen. That word for strengthen literally means infuses strength, that puts strength in. I think of it like roller coaster. All the roller coaster fans, I love when I first took my kids, every one of my kids on a roller coaster. They see them and what's your first thing? I don't care. You're like, I'm scared to death. All right? That thing looks scary. You know? Like that looks so scary. But you know what? Why, where every one of my kids first rode the roller coaster? Right next to dad. Because dad, we have this power. Parents, we have this power. We infuse strength. They gave them the strength. They're like, all right, yes, I'm probably going to die besides dad. Let's go. You know? And they would do it. All right? And that is just things through him who strengthens you. Go. Display that passion that you have for the world. All right? And then it ends in 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. To our God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The glory. And so here's one last clip that we have of the dream team. The next season, every Olympian except Magic Johnson and Larry Bird would return to the NBA. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen would win their third title against Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns. On the way to six championships overall, the last three with Tony Kukoc. Eventually, other members of the team would also win titles. But each NBA player on the Dream Team would reach the Hall of Fame. Still, it's what they did together that summer that had the biggest impact on the game. An impact that continues to grow today. It really lifted basketball and it gave birth to international stars who had nothing to do with those games in 92, but who took so much from it. We made the game a worldwide game. 
You know, I talked to Tony Parker. I talked to Ginobili. I talked to Dirk Nowitzki. Those guys say their first love of basketball started with the Dream Team. And I'm really proud of that. It changed sport as we know it. They showed the world how to play basketball. What other team can say that? I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. It's an insult to compare anybody else to that team. Take a good look. Perhaps we'll never see a team this great again. No team will ever have that happen. Hasn't had that happen. And uh, that's the dream team. Yeah. But one other team. You. You're the dream team. We. We're the dream team. I cannot wait to start seeing some messages back of just what you would do. What are you going to go do? Maybe you're going to start a ministry. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe there's some way you need to go and know Jesus more. Maybe you need to give your life to him and say, I'm on this team. All need to go back and actively do something to display that glory. Remember, the prize is still the thing that you're on target. Just know Him. Know Him. But as you do Him, as you know that, as you know after, it's going to spill over. And it's worthwhile. And you count the whole cost, and you're going to do this. I want to end with, I know when back to 1992, I want to go back even further for one last illustration. It has nothing to do with sports. It's 1914. In 1914, there was this guy who wanted to go out, and, and his name was Ernest Shackleton, and he wanted to go and explore uh, Antarctica. All right, don't put that up yet. All right, and so uh, um, he wanted to go up and, and explore Antarctica, and so he was trying to recruit all these people to go on this, and it was going to, since 1914, they're going to get on this boat, they're going to long, it's like, it's going to be crazy, and he's asking, he's trying to hire all these people to be on his expedition, on this exploration, and it's just arm and leg. He would try to get people, and no one would sign up, and no one wants to come. He's trying to say how much money he's going to give. He's trying to, all the benefits. We're going to explore Antarctica. Come on, there has to get explored. Like, we need to go see this. Think of it for science. Think of the adventure. And people aren't signing up. And then finally, he runs this ad, all right? And he runs this ad in the Times in London, and he puts this ad out. It says, men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in, in case of success. Put that one little ad in. Hundreds of men apply. He puts together a team of 300 guys that go on this boat, and they go down, they explore the first expedition all through Antarctica. They come back, they hadn't lost one. Why? They counted the cost. They started with the challenge. They saw, the count. They saw it was worth it. They stepped through fears because it was worth it. They knew they started to see the whole picture because it was worth it. You guys, we have the prize of knowing Jesus. Yes, there's cost. There's fears you're going to step. There's going to be take some work. You can do all things through strength, but it's worth it. And so here's, the, here's what I'm asking. Here's my today. Teammates wanted. God's team. Engaging in contests of eternal Fair, Emotional heart. the impact of your sacrifice, lives change, and contentment of the Lord in case of success will train. Let's pray.
Lord, just thank you so much you put us on your team. It is the best team of all time. It is the greatest team to be a part of because you are our Father who infuses strength that we can do all things with you. You are the one that we want to know, Lord Jesus. It is all about you. We get you as the prize. Lord, I just pray for every person here that you will help us just to see you as the prize, infused with all the value and has that has all the glory. Will you help us to, to ask you, Father, what do you want us to do in your strength? What can we tackle? Knowing that you will give us the strength to do it as we go back to those unique places. Lord, we would, can we just display the fact that we know and understand you? Can we boast in that? And then change the world. If a team of 12 guys with talents on a game can do that, what can we do if what we boast in is that we know and understand the Lord? Amen.